Two weeks ago, Clayton started a series that will continue on when he gets back on the gospel. And I'm going to kind of dovetail into that myself this morning. This morning, it's my desire to talk a little bit about the gospel uh, and about the great commission that Jesus gave us as his followers. But before we do that, I'm going to start with a little quiz. Now, don't worry, it's not going to be too difficult. I know some of you haven't had your morning coffee yet, so it's not going to be too bad. But according to conventional wisdom, what are two topics that you're not supposed to bring up at a dinner party? Politics and religion. Boy, you guys are good. Obviously, a lot of coffee this morning. Well, lucky for me, this is not a dinner party. So I'm going to talk for just a moment about religion and politics. And this is a little bit of a history lesson. So back in uh, 1980, uh, there was a pastor by the name of Dr. D. James Kennedy. He was the senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian down in Florida. He was also one of the founding members of an organization that was known as the Moral Majority. He was also the founding member of a parachurch ministry known as Evangelism Explosion Ministries, which, by the way, was actually the very first parachurch ministry ever to have a presence in every single country on earth. So, back in 1980, it was election time, which it seems like we're always in an election now. The news is just constantly all about politics. I'm, I'm hoping someday we'll get off that, that little wheel that the hamster seems to be on now. But back in 1980, when the Republican candidates were trying to get the evangelical vote, the way they did that was they went to visit the leadership of the moral majority. And no different from the others, Ronald Reagan went to visit with the moral majority at one point. And uh, Dr. Kennedy would ask all kinds of different questions sometimes about policy and that sort of thing. But when, when Reagan came to him, he said to him, so tell me, and he gave him what it soon became known as the evangelism explosion question, which is, if you were to die tonight and you were to find yourself before God in heaven, what would you say as to the reason why he should let you into his heaven? Well, Reagan sat there for a minute and kind of looked down at his feet and shuffled for a minute and said, well, I don't have any reason. I don't have a reason for why God should let me in. I would just ask for mercy because of what Jesus Christ did for me on Calvary. Well, needless to say, he got the backing of the moral majority upon giving that answer. But as compelling as that question is, and as good as that answer was that Ronald Reagan gave, it really reflects the modern church's understanding of the gospel, and which is a boiling down to the very single focus that it's a message of redemption. It is a message of salvation and, and a redemption from our sins and then going on to be with God in heaven one day. We all know that this is a very core aspect of the gospel. Don't get me wrong. And the core aspect is also found, of course, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which reads, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning that there's so much more to the gospel 
the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Now again, don't get me wrong, salvation is the greatest miracle that can happen on this earth. It is when we are completely born again. My wife describes it this way. The moment that she received Jesus, she said she felt like a banana being peeled from the bottom up as a huge weight just lifted off of her. As wonderful as that is, that moment when we've crossed over from death to life, that moment when the angels are rejoicing in heaven because another person has come to know Jesus, we often find ourselves asking a question. That question is why? Why, why me, God? Why me? Why did you die for me? And when we understand the full gospel of Jesus Christ, we begin to understand that there are so many answers to that question that I could probably stand up here for hours and still not exhaust all of them. But fortunately for you, I love giving very short sermons, so I will not be up here for hours. <laughs> so this morning, let's just focus on a couple of them. First and foremost, God wants to have an ongoing personal relationship with you that starts right here, right now. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on in another verse in 1 John 4, 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Jesus came to restore that relationship between God and man that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Salvation is not some golden ticket to heaven or some get-out-of-hell-free card. And it's not simply raising your hand and kind of like voting for Jesus. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I'll, I'll do that. It's more than that. It's an invitation to an abundant life. It's an invitation to a relationship with the very creator of the universe. And I'm not talking about the kind of casual relationship that you might have with a friend, a coworker, even a spouse. I'm talking about a connection that when it's restored with God, it's not just a connection with your mind or as the Bible calls it, your soul. I'm talking about a connection with your spirit because your spirit comes alive. And you are then communicating with God on a level that you've never communicated before with any person in your life. And it is, there's a purpose behind that relationship. And that leads me to my next point. And that is that we are not merely saved from something. In other words, eternal separation from God. We are basically saved for a purpose. We are saved to something. Many of us know the, the verses in Ephesians chapter 2, particularly verses 8 and 9, which read, For by grace you have been saved by faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. But interestingly enough, it goes on in verse 10 to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. It's kind of easy hear legalism in that last verse, isn't it? You know, maybe there's kind of a deep-seated feeling in some of us. Maybe you come from a background where good works and, and a heavy dose of religion is just part of the way you grew up, you know, and that the whole idea of salvation being a free gift sounds like a really, really too good to be true kind of idea. Or maybe there's just a hypersensitivity that you have to the word works. And even hearing the phrase good works makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. But there's a world of difference between being required to do good works for some reason, perhaps to earn God's favor, 
and doing good works because it is the desire of our heart having been reborn in the fullness of his image. We are his workmanship, as it says in verse 10. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has an assignment for each one of us that he prepared for us before we were even born, before we came to know him. And it's an opportunity to become part of something far bigger than ourselves. He has a destiny and a calling on each and every one of us. And that assignment is our kingdom purpose on this earth. When Paul says that we should walk in the good works that God has prepared for us, that speaks to a lifestyle, not just a casual point here and there and there. You walk it out. You walk it out every single day. Every day we are living out that kingdom purpose that God has for us. There's something that we, that we need to hear because sometimes we think of good works, again, in our old way of thinking that, quite honestly, before we were saved, if you think of Isaiah 64 where it says that all of our righteous works were as filthy rags to God. But there's a difference because after coming to know Jesus, everything changes. Our motivations are no longer our own. They're his motivations. What we may have tried to do in our own strength is now something that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, there are times where he will give you spiritual gifts that you will be able to exercise to accomplish the things that he sets before you. There's an old saying that says that walking with God doesn't lead to God's favor, but rather God's favor leads to walking with God. We don't do good works just to have him show favor towards us, but rather... He shows us his favor, and we simply walk with him in response. Our assignments from God often seem impossible, or at least they do when they're viewed from our basic human perspective. In fact, it often looks that, frankly, if it looks like something that we could do on our own, it probably wasn't from him. When he calls us to carry out a task, though it appears impossible, he equips us to carry it out. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to accomplish the impossible. Through him, we have the power to heal the sick, to speak in tongues, to cast out demons. These gifts were given to us to fulfill the Great Commission. Speaking of which, I'd like us to turn now to the Great Commission as it's described in Mark chapter 16, where Jesus commissions his followers. Looking down at chapter 16, beginning in verse 15, we read, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whosoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus after he had spoken to them, was taken up out of heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord went with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I have to tell you, when I was a young man, and watch out, I know, I know Andrew. No comments about the young man bit. Thank you. I knew it was coming. I, I was going to preempt it because I knew it was coming. 
But when I was a young man, I believed, as many Christians do in the 21st century, that accompanying signs and wonders were a thing of the past. In fact, I was so convinced about that topic that I taught on it. I published articles on it. I actually thought, you know, that there was no way that the miracles that we saw in the Bible were going to happen today. When I look back at what I was thinking then, man, what a fool I was. I believed, as many churches do today, that the miracles were done only by apostles and that when they died out and when the canon of Scripture was completed, that was the end of the miracles. This is often based on a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 1.10, which states that when the perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So many Christians today interpret that to mean that when the Bible was completed, or as it's called, the canon of Scripture is completed, that that meant that was the perfect, and therefore all the gifts were no longer needed because you had this perfect Bible. You don't need to confirm the message of grace with signs and miracles. But in fact, we know that that is not a proper interpretation of that verse. A proper interpretation is really that it's saying that when Jesus comes again, he's the perfect one. When he comes again, and when we all go to heaven, all these partial things that we have today where perhaps some words of knowledge or some prophetic words or maybe even healings, we won't need healings because we will have glorified bodies. We won't need prophetic words because we will know as he knows. So that is when it all falls away. But until then, the miracles are for today. So getting back to our primary text in Mark 16, we can see that, again, there's one little problem with this whole thing about, you know, the gifts ceasing when the apostles died off. It's not true. Let's look at verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues, and they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Did you catch that? It says, if those who believe. It's not talking about these super apostles. It's talking about anybody, any one of us. If we believe, then these signs and wonders will accompany as we preach the gospel. No matter what our vocation or our location is in life, God has called each one of us to preach the gospel. And he is faithful to partner with us and to confirm his message of grace with accompanying signs and wonders. I'm reminded a little bit of Josh's sermon from last week, which I heard online, which, again, if you didn't hear it, please go listen to it. It's just wonderful. We carry the kingdom with us wherever we go. Our workplace can be our mission field. We have authority there, don't we? That is one of many, many places where God calls us to share the Great Commission. So let me ask you a question. Are you tired of the daily grind? Are you searching for a greater purpose in life? God is calling each of us to a life of significance, a life of abundance. He has a purpose for our lives that has eternal consequences. He wants a relationship with each one of us. And that relationship starts the moment that we accept him as our savior. The moment we realize that we are bought with a price. His hand is outstretched even now, saying, come, come with me. Join in the greatest adventure of your life. It may involve many things. It may take you different places. It may not take you anywhere. It may be right here. But the reality is, 
we all know that from the Great Commission, it will involve sharing the gospel more than once. We are called to share in that. When you think of why this church was planted here in Leesburg, it's for people to encounter God. It's for us to equip as best as we know how, and then the Holy Spirit to empower us as we go to engage in the city of Leesburg. Every believer in this sanctuary has the responsibility of sharing the good news of the gospel. And he promises that if we are bold in sharing the gospel, and if we just simply believe on him, he will confirm his message with signs and wonders. I know it's scary. I'm an introvert. The thought of just going out there and sharing is a frightening thought. But when you know who's behind you, it's not so scary anymore. And when you hear him calling you to talk to somebody, it's not so scary anymore. When Paul and Barnabas were in Iconium, Acts 14.3 says that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace and enabling them to perform signs and wonders. If you've been around me for any length of time, you know that that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it encapsulates exactly what we should expect to happen whenever we answer the call to the Great Commission. I will tell you that I have seen some people over the course of my life that as they have been used by God and exercised the gifts, exercised the gifts, it becomes kind of part of their identity. And that's a little bit of a, of a risk that you need to watch out for. And I'm not saying that many, if any of us, will ever get to that point. But we need to recognize that the miracles are for the purpose of salvation. As Bill Johnson once said, the miracles done through our hands are not to affirm our identity, but to confirm the truth of the gospel. There's one other related scripture that I wanted to share with you found in Romans 15. It's very similar to the one that we just read in Acts 14, but uh, the reason I'm bringing it is just to reinforce that God is committed to demonstrating the gospel through signs and wonders. So let's look at Romans 15, around verses 18 and 19. It says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul's very lifestyle, the word and deed were used by Christ to bring the Gentiles to repentance. It was this surrendered lifestyle of Paul that God used to preach the gospel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. God honors our faithful sharing of the gospel, and he won't just leave us hanging there. He's going to back up his word, especially when we need it. So for some of you here today, maybe you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior at this point. The whole gospel thing sounds kind of nice, but you've got different plans for your life, and you're thinking... I like my life just the way it is, and this might change things. It might. It might. A lot of people think, well, mm, I like the relationships I have. I like the, the power and, and the focus on my job. It's just, it's the focus of my life. I like what it is. And, you know, maybe, maybe in a few years, maybe then I'll reconsider this whole gospel thing. But can I tell you that there are a lot of people that think that they're going to accept Jesus at the 11th hour, only to die at 
the Bible says that it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So I urge you, don't miss this moment, my friends. If you feel a stirring in your heart to come to Jesus, there is no time like right now. I was praying with the elders last week, and uh, I got a picture, or maybe you could even call it a vision, I don't know. But I have, I'm going to share this with you with some trepidation because I never like to share any stories about me because I don't want it to bring one iota of attention to me. I just, that's not me. So I was standing on a corner in Leesburg. This was what I saw as we were praying last week. I was standing on a corner in downtown Leesburg and the people were just kind of walking by, walking by, very busy, kind of head down, just kind of doing their own thing. And I could see the Lord was just kind of standing there and he was just weeping over them because he wanted to draw them to himself and he was calling to them and he couldn't, they couldn't hear him. They just kept being so focused on their lives. And as he was calling, I began getting emotional as I was kind of seeing this picture and I began crying and, and you know when you start crying and your throat tightens up and you get that, you know, that little lump in your throat and you can't speak you can barely speak in a hoarse whisper and so I started talking I tried to communicate to people and I was saying can you hear him he's calling you he's calling you can't you hear him but nobody heard me they just kept going and I kept saying can't you hear him he's calling you and all of a sudden one person just kind of stopped and kind of cocked his head as if he heard something in the distance and he kept listening and then others they stopped and they all started listening and they began looking up and suddenly they realized that they were being spoken to by the Lord the Lord was calling them and they all, as they looked skyward, they all began weeping and they began feeling the change that comes when you come to know Jesus washing over them. Can you hear him? He's calling you this morning. He's calling you. Don't walk out of this building. Settle it today. Don't wait till 11 p.m. Settle it today. The ministry team will be up front in a little while and they would, they would consider it their privilege to pray with you and to bring you into that saving knowledge of Jesus. If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ but you haven't realized until now that God really wants to use you to spread his good news about the full gospel, that he wants to work through you to, and he will confirm the message of grace through you by working signs and wonders through you, then in a moment, I'd like you to stand up and make a public declaration to acknowledge that you have a destiny and a calling on your life that includes sharing the gospel. This is your Isaiah moment. Remember when he said, here I am, send me? That's each one of us. If that's you, would you please stand? I'd like to pray for you and to pray that the Lord would use you powerfully in Leesburg, Loudoun County, and perhaps even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Father God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you for those that hear you calling, calling them to share your incredible message of grace 
and salvation with Leesburg, Loudoun County, and perhaps even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, I pray that you would use them in a mighty way. That you would confirm the message of your grace through them by enabling them to do signs and wonders in your name. Lord, you did not leave us, but you have filled us with your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit, who gave us great gifts to fulfill your message, to bring your kingdom to this earth. Lord, use us now. Let us continue to hear your still small voice and let it grow louder and louder. Let us hear you when you say that one. Talk to that one. I'm calling his name. I'm calling her name. Lord, we thank you. And I am so looking forward to hearing amazing testimonies. How many, many people in this area, in this region, come to know you because just one person here stood up and said, I will share your message. I will share your message of grace, Lord. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.